You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1209 of Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday. And thank you for making this podcast, Locked on Hawks, your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also our YouTube channel. And really, more than one channel is also encouraged all the way through. But thank you very much for listening to the podcast. We'll dive into the game that transpired on Thursday with the Hawks getting a nice, lopsided, breezy win over the Cavaliers, 131 to 107. This is kind of an interesting game. And with the win, the Hawks push a play-in spot. They're now in the postseason officially with this victory. They're nine and three of the last 12 games. And for the first time all year, which is kind of crazy, the Hawks are now three games over 500. They're 40 and 37. It's been, of course, a wild ride to get to 500 and then over 500. And now they've won four in a row. And with those wins, they have now at least reached a new point in terms of success this season. They've won 17 of the last 20 at home. So that's been a very, very friendly environment at Sanford Arena recently and uh, pretty much dominant the entire way. The first half, they, up, they were up by 13 points at the halftime break. And with the one exception of Trey Young leaving the contest late in the second quarter and scaring everyone to death, let's just say. Um, other than that, it was a very, very positive night at the office. And by the way, Trey came back in and played well in the third quarter. And it looks like, fingers crossed, the Hawks have avoided that kind of damage that could have happened if he were to have a more serious injury. So the Hawks led this game by 33 points at one point in the second half, and it was really breezy along the way. So even against a team that was not playing its best or that was not at full strength in the Cavaliers, it's still a nice home win on a back-to-back. And again, four wins in a row at a very nice time for Atlanta. Touching all of this stuff from this game moving forward. If you're a new listener, what we do on this podcast is that at the beginning of the podcast, usually I'll give you the sort of the top line thoughts, and then we'll dive into sort of the context of what transpired before the game, during the game, after the game, looking ahead of the future, etc. So what we'll do here at the top of the show is get into uh, kind of the pregame context. That was the fact that both teams were playing a back-to-back with travel the Hawks have not always been great on back-to-backs this year, but Cleveland had not been playing well coming in the night. They were 7-13 and 13 in the last 20 coming in, and while the Cavs do have a better record than the Hawks do, it's been a struggle for them for a while. A lot of that is injuries. Um, it's worth noting the Cavs were without two of their best three players in this game, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. That's two big losses. Also, they're two best, they're two, two best big men, they're best defenders, etc., also, they were missing a couple of rotation guys, and Re- old pal Rajon Rondo missed this game for Cleveland and Dean Wade. But uh, just kind of a mess of a team right now in Cleveland. They're not, they've obviously had a, actually a really positive season across the board, but not so much lately. On the Hawks side, uh, a slight advantage because they were at home, obviously, but the rest stuff was all kind of break even on both sides here. Um, but the players that were available in this game actually ended up going pretty well for the Hawks. There was a very busy injury report before the game actually started. Gallinari was questionable with the right elbow contusion that he's actually been battling for a while now. He missed three of the previous four games, played in this one, um, had some moments along the way. We'll come back to that later on, but having him available is obviously a positive with John Collins still sidelined. Wadonovich also questionable coming into the game. He was uh, a, sort of a, a closer to game time decision than some. Gallinari was actually a very game time decision. It was not ruled in until like half hour before actually the game actually started. But Bogey's been on the injury report on and off with the knee issues. I'm not sure how bad that actually is, but he's been at least in some peril recently. Lou Williams missed this game, actually, the backup point guard for the Hawks, with a right ankle issue and a low back discomfort issue at the same time. And with Collins and Jalen Johnson still out, they're pretty uh, shorthanded. By the way, Collins, 
there was a update that was a kind of a non-update from McMillan before the game. He said he's, quote, still isn't doing any, anything as far as running or jumping, end quote. That is uh, not the best news if you are a Hawks fan at this point in time. We're still awaiting an official update as the Hawks um, 13 days ago announced that Collins is going to be out for a while. And they gave a 10 to 14 day timeline for reevaluation. We basically reached that, which is why the question was asked. It was a good question by Chris Kirchner of The Athletic. But no real answer from McMillan over the fact that I would just say this, as this is just me speculating and also interpreting, him not running by now is not a good sign. The Hawks will be wrapping up regular season in only 10 days. And uh doesn't mean that he can't play, but I continue to think that it's more likely than not. This is just me editorializing and not reporting anything. I want to, I want to stress that. If I had to guess right now, I would say Collins is not going to play, at least in the regular season, and we'll see what happens as far as the Hawks can make, making a run. But we'll see. This is kind of a big couple of days for him, I'd imagine, as he's trying to ramp back up. And McMillan did not rule him out for the season by any means, but that's the latest there. And then Johnson's in the concussion protocol, missed both, 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 both sides of the back-to-back. So not a huge surprise, but we'll see if he can return on Saturday. Oh, um, one positive thing of news on the uh, on the margins, but still, Skylar Mays has been listed on the injury report for more than a week with a non-COVID illness. He ended up coming back in this one. He was active and played some garbage time minutes, so good, good to see Skylar back on the floor and uh, seemingly feeling better in this spot. With all of that in the mix, the Hawks were six-and-a-half-point favorites on this night. And given where, where the Cavs are on the standings, that might have surprised some people because the Cavs have a better record than the Hawks do. But hopefully out there, all that context, you will understand that the Hawks had the healthier team in this game. Even with Collins out, they were still healthier pretty clearly than the Cavs. Um, I think the Hawks are just better top to bottom than the Cavs are. And also being at home is also a factor. So um, they were favored and they ended up covering the spread with ease. But keep that in mind in terms of uh, this is not, not, not a huge upset. I thought it might be might be closer to break even, but given all the injury stuff, certainly a game the Hawks were supposed to win and they ended up doing so. Out of the gate, it was pretty much the Hawks early and often. A 15-8 to eight run at the outset with Kevin Herter starting out hot. We'll come back to him later on. But he's been very, very hot as a shooter. Recently, he hit two threes in pretty short order. A couple of bad shots, I thought, from DeAndre Hunter, who was the only real disappointment in this game for Atlanta. He was pretty bad, to be honest. Started out early on with a couple of bad shots. He took one contested pull-up over Markkanen, who's about 6'11 for the Cavs. Just kind of a bad shot. Not, not a horrible one, but not one that you need early in the game. And they sort of took like, a, like an awkward 14-footer off of one leg that was kind of a four shot. You know, it didn't kill them necessarily, but he just didn't do a whole lot of positive stuff. He did have one nice pass that I wanted to point out to TLC for a corner three that was a good setup by him. Um, but other than that, there wasn't a whole lot going on in the positive realm for Hunter. But on the flip side of that, Capella was dominant. Really the entire game, especially early on, he had eight points, eight rebounds, two blocks, and a steal in the first nine minutes. Flying around defense, um, bothering the Cavs at the rim, on the perimeter, etc. He had a nice um, sort of transition play where he actually went end-to-end for a dunk by himself that was uh, pretty impressive, pretty springy from Capella. I said this before, but if you're a new listener, you might not know this. Capella has been basically back to his elite form in the last couple of months. Um, and I think there was kind of a slow start this season. Even, even I acknowledge, I think it was probably overblown. I thought he was still playing pretty well early in the year, but certainly he's been much better in the second half of the season. And he has been really fantastic for a while now. And that was definitely the case in this game. Rotationally, it was kind of similar. It was a nine-man group for the Hawks in this one. McDonough is the first sub, then Gallinari, DeLon Wright, and Okongwu later on in the first quarter. With no Lou Williams, they just kind of they played nine in this game. It was uh, it was DeLon as the backup point guard by himself. They actually ended up starting TLC in this one, which was kind of a surprise. It was a mild one with Gallinari available. But uh, given that Gallinari was probably a little bit limited, I would imagine. And I, I also kind of like, you know, generally keeping Gallinari with Capella some more. But uh, alas, they stuck with, stuck with TLC. 
part of that was because I'm sure that the Hawks been playing well, and he had a interesting assignment defensively guarding Karis LeVert at times. And I thought that TLC played fine. It was just kind of people were asking me why that was the case, and it was probably just more of a uh, status quo kind of thing on that decision. Um, the Hawks had a 10-2 run late in the first quarter to go by 13 points. Um, Trey hit a three against Kevin Love in drop coverage. That was pretty much a reminder that I would say of why teams cannot play drop against Trey Young defensively, especially if you're going to play a guy like Kevin Love, who actually has had a good year for Cleveland, but he's not a good defender at this point in time. And him in pick and roll and drop against Trey is just like a non-starter. I mean, Trey, obviously the Hawks love that, um, run that all the time if you're a Hawks fan. Um, but, you know, Trey was just cooking that with pretty much ease uh, on, on offense in this game. Hawks were about eight at the end of the first quarter. It wasn't like a fantastic overall period because defensively it wasn't perfect, but they had a 144 offensive rating, uh, 57% from the floor and five threes in the first quarter. They rebounded the ball very, very well before the end of the first period. Uh, Capella had eight, nine, and two. Trey had nine points and five assists in the first. And uh, in general, outside of Darius Garland having, having a strong start, and he cooled off after that, which is positive for Atlanta. They had a good start to this game, and as we'll get into in a moment – the rest of the game from there, really the middle quarters, again, this has been a theme recently up the Hawks, actually, kind of uh, strangely. Um, the Hawks have been taking advantage of the middle portions of the game. The Hawks had a pretty much a late run at the end of the first half, and then the second half run to open things up, and they put the game away on some level. But we'll come back to that all in a second with some uh, more context. Um, the end of the first half, the full second half picture, as well as some player, player observations, and a look ahead at the future schedule for the Hawks. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. NBA Top Shot is the official license to NFT of the NBA and connect with a passionate community of NBA fans across the globe and build your collection with the favorite moments from NBA history. NBA Top Shot is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards, part stock market, and also part fantasy sports with a built-in loyalty program attached. NBA Top Shot is also evolving trading cards to make it easier to buy, sell, and trade by removing the hassle of card grading, shoe boxes, and binders. They have a peer-to-peer marketplace that's 24-7, lets you scroll through all of your favorite players and teams. Once you find that moment you were looking for, you buy it just a couple of clicks. I hear all the time, like, why would you buy something when I can actually just watch it on YouTube for free? And I tell those people, it's not really about actually watching the highlight. It's about actually having ownership in the market of the, great, of the greatest moments in NBA history. And only Top Shot moments actually get you access to once-in-a-lifetime experiences that you can't buy or find anywhere else. Sign up for Top Shot today. If you do that, it's the best way to get yourself going is to actually get yourself a starter pack, pull a moment of superstars like LeBron or KD or Trey Young, if you're interested in Atlanta Hawks, obviously. And star rookies like Kay Cunningham and Evan Mobley are available just for just $9 in those starter packs. Sign up today at LockedOn.NBATopShot.com. That is LockedOn.NBATopShot.com. Okay, we'll dive into the second quarter now. And they open up with DeLon Wright alongside Herter, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Okongwu. So obviously that's a nine-man group overall. And I, I do like generally when the Lou Williams is out to try to pair DeLon Wright with some creation on the perimeter. I love DeLon. I am uh, president of the DeLon Wright fan club in a lot of ways. But the one thing he is not fantastic at is facilitating as a, uh, as a lead guard. So putting him out there with Gallo for spacing and also with Herder and Bogdanovich for some more creation and spacing is the way to do that. And I think that was the right decision by McMillan throughout this game. When they both, I think in both halves, they played they play that same group. It worked out pretty well. In fact, it was DeLon and Okongwu that carried the offense a little bit early in the second quarter. Um, DeLon had actually five points, two possessions, had, had this great fake handoff play, and then also made a three along the way. They ended up being plus two in the non-Trey minutes in the first half, which is always a positive for the Hawks. There was a completely insane pass by Trey um, when he came back in that I'm not sure made the highlights because Capella got fouled on the play and it wasn't a finish and wasn't a dunk, but he created a passing lane that like a few people can make in the league. Trey is just ridiculous um, and in the best possible way as a passer. 
and that gave them a 14-point lead at that point. But late in the first half was the one and only scare uh, in terms of the game overall. It was not, not, not on the scoreboard, but actually in the injury stuff. So with about two minutes to go in the half, Trey drives, pulls off kind of a crazy dribble move, and then almost makes a floater, uh, misses it, but kind of lands awkwardly by himself. Not on anybody, just kind of lands awkwardly. And then not right away, but kind of crumpled to the ground on sort of a backpedal, went down hard, and then stayed down for a long, long time. It was non-contact. Uh, he didn't really land um, that weirdly, but kind of just a weird play. And uh, he said after the game that his groin's been bothering him for a while, which might be part of the reason what happened. But once he got up, it was straight to the locker room. And it was in the end of the half, so there was kind of that long period where we didn't really know anything about Trey's status. The first update was during halftime, and that he was questionable return with right groin soreness, which I said, and I'll say it again now, like that update doesn't want to tell you anything um, because all that tells you is that it was actually the groin. We weren't sure what it was actually the injury was at all until then. But uh, in pretty short order, within like 10 minutes, he was out there warming up for the second half, which um, was positive number one, is that he even came out to do that. And then, of course, he starts the third quarter and plays the entire third quarter. So that doesn't mean you're out of the woods entirely. He said after the game that he's sore, um, as did Nate McMillan talked about Trey. So we'll see if the update is. Um, sometimes adrenaline can carry you a long way. But, uh, you know, obviously a big game on Saturday for the Hawks. Trey is uh, always someone that wants to play, and I'm sure he will play if he is able to. But – uh, it did not look fantastic when he stayed down for so long, but uh, on the bright side, he came back in. They played him probably longer than I would have in the third quarter, which we'll come back to in a second, but ended up being a uh, more of a speed bump than anything else, provided that Trey is actually okay, so knock on wood on that one. Um, late in the first half, Chelsea did a three, and the Hawks went into halftime up by 13 points after an awesome offensive performance. Um, 129 offensive rating, pretty, pretty balanced all the way across, and then held the Cavs to a 104 defensive rating. That's very, very good. Other than Hunter struggling um, with some bad shots and some bad transition moments, defensively there was lots of positives there. Um, in the second half, obviously the big news was Trey coming back to start the game in the third. And uh, it, he didn't move incredibly well, I don't think. You know, seeing him in person, I don't think he was as bursty as he normally is, and I'm sure he was holding back a little bit there. But, of course, I say that. And he made a step back three right away, and then a floater to go up by 20 for the Hawks. So uh, not too bad. Obviously, Trey at 80% is still better than most people at 100%. But um, I don't think he had quite the same burst. So keep, keep an eye on that, obviously, in the coming days. Um, they went to Gallinari before Bogdanovich, which is kind of a change from the first half. I think that was because Hunter was so bad in the first half and even the second half as well. Uh, in fact, obviously, there was garbage time associated with this game. But Hunter played the fewest minutes of anyone in the starting lineup, and that was uh, certainly justified. He was not very good in this one. But the game was kind of broken open a little bit with a 7-0 run, middle of the quarter to go up by 26. You know, it was obviously they were in commanding position already, but Trey had a nice lob to Capella for a three-point play. And the Cavs didn't score for about three minutes, and that was uh, pretty much danger zone stuff for Cleveland. Um, Bogey had a three at the, at the end of the third quarter at the buzzer. And I didn't love Trey playing the entire third quarter after the injury, but he wasn't laboring too, too much. He had 30 points at the end of the third quarter. And that's kind of their normal rotation in some respects, if you want to be the devil's advocate there. The Hawks were dominating, obviously, 135 offensive rating through three quarters. Shooting well, taking care of the ball, et cetera. And in the fourth, it never really got competitive. Um, there was actually a pretty hilarious finish from Gallinari late, sorry, early in the, in the fourth quarter where he got, he got a fill down on his own, made the, made the rounds on Twitter. Even I believe the NBA uh, official account tweeted it out because it was kind of funny to watch. But the game was probably already over, but if it wasn't already already over, it was a 9-0 run early in the fourth to go up by 33 points, and that was, uh, of course, the end of the game as it was. That happened with the bench plus her unit, and that was like seven and a half minutes to go. So from that point forward, it was pure garbage time. They brought in 
Knox out of that timeout, and then Gorgie Jang after that, and then Skylar Mays after that. So they did what they could. They ended up closing with a Kongwu, and we'll come back to him later. I'll be actually have the best game of his season on paper in terms of the box score. Um, and, you know, they ended up playing him and DeLon a lot in the fourth quarter, but they had to play somebody, and TLC played some as well in the fourth. So um, as far as the competitive portion of the game, the Hawks were obviously the better team, wire to wire in this one. And offensively, it was very impressive. So they, they scored more than 1.3 points per possession in the competitive portion of the game. And even with the caveat that Cleveland is not the same team or even close to the same team defensively without Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, the Hawks still shot the ball incredibly well and played well on offense. Both can be true. Like the schedule, as we'll probably touch on again later on in the podcast, has been very favorable for the Hawks for the last few weeks now. It's been that long of a pretty favorable schedule, but you still have to win the games and make the shots. And the Hawks early in the season gave some opportunities away. And this one, they kind of were in control the entire way. And that was that's a credit to them for doing that. Um, they shot the ball extremely well, um, 50% from the floor, 44% from three on a big volume, and then 24 of 28 at the free throw line for 63% shoe shooting. That is a fantastic figure across the board. 27 assists and nine turnovers. Uh, a three-one ratio there is absolutely elite. A two-to-one ratio is elite, and three-to-one is fan- absolutely fantastic. Um, even on the glass, they were pretty much fine in this one, and they had balance. I mean, obviously Trey had his usual explosive game, but they had six guys in double figures. I believe they had um, eight guys with at least seven points in this one. So lots of balance. And uh, aside from Trey, it was a pretty egalitarian effort on offense. Defensively, it was also pretty good. Obviously, Cleveland is not potent on offense even at full strength they're actually kind of a bottom 10 offense of the league but um the Cavs shot seven of 30 from three in this one a 106 offensive rating in the competitive portion of the game for cleveland and the hawks actually traded turnovers only 14 giveaways for cleveland which is not like an obscene number but the hawks got 24 points off of those and that is uh, always a sort of a capitalization thing that teams want to be able to do if you could force turnovers um defensively the only problem that was really in the profile all the way across on the stat page was the defensive rebounding in this game. They had some pro- they had some problems there, but nothing else that was like too glaring. And even that wasn't so bad that it was unable to be overcome. So again, like I'll probably say this one more time later on, but you know the Hawks have been playing so well. They're nine and three in the last twelve games, and it really is a product of them winning the games that they're supposed to win. The only game that during this positive stretch for the Hawks in the month of March that they were quote unquote not supposed to win was the Memphis game where they played without Trey and kind of stunned the Grizzlies as a result. That's a heck of a win, very obviously. But if you look at the schedule, the rest of the schedule, I won't go through, go through the entire thing necessarily, but um, just for some examples here in the month of March. They played Washington and won by three points. They played the Clippers without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at home. They played the Pacers, who were the zombie Pacers, on March 13th. They played the Blazers, who are terrible right now and rebuilding, obviously, the Memphis win. But they, they also beat the Knicks, who were not fantastic. That was a solid win on the road, I will say, but nothing like off the charts. And then they the last four games, Golden State without, without Steph at home, then Indiana, zombie Pacers, zombie Thunder, and then the Cavs without two of their, two of their top three players. So, like, every win has a caveat other than the, other than the Memphis game. But again, they're still winning the basketball games. So context is something that I, I very much value. But even zooming back out to like mid-February at this point in time, they're 13 and 7 in the last 20. And that is what they wanted to have happen all year long. You know, this team is not supposed to be a, a 61 team necessarily, but even as someone who liked them and wants to keep things in perspective, I thought they win 50 games this year, something like that. 13 and 7 is like that kind of pace. Um and 
almost to, almost to a T, and that's what they've been since mid-February. It's just that they started out very slowly, and we'll get into all that as we as we have to. But uh, it's been a lot of Jekyll and Hyde this year, but uh, more Hyde than Jekyll recently, if you want to say that. And uh, the four-game winning streak comes at a very, very good time for the Hawks. And we'll get into this thing in a second, but they've now tied Brooklyn and Charlotte for the eighth seed. So they have some opportunities at, in front of them. In fact, they have a chance if they were to win out potentially to get to the seventh seed, which would be kind of shocking. I'm not saying it's likely because it's not, but it's definitely a chance. And that's pretty interesting from where they were just a couple of games ago. Before we get to the last part of the podcast, some player evaluations, some standings look, and a look ahead to a big game over the weekend. And we're from our sponsors on the podcast. After a long season, lots of twists and turns, college basketball has determined top four teams in the sport with the final four coming up, and the national champion will be crowned in just the next few days. With that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds, contests, player player props, futures, exotics, and much more. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest developments in sports, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Of course, not just basketball either. That line is a continued source for all of your sports wagering information and everything you could possibly have, including live betting and favorite casino games, as well as other sports like baseball, tennis, golf, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much, much more. It's also a great time to look at the future market because the NBA has lots of interesting future-facing bets, as well as the NFL. College football is around the corner, actually pretty close from now. I know it doesn't seem like it's that close from now, but the gridiron is never too far away. Check it all out by going to the website right now or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action in the sports world, but online where the game starts. All right, and the player evaluation portion is here. We'll fly through this now on this Thursday evening into Friday. The bench was uh, fairly productive. Obviously, the garbage time stuff, not really worth talking about, but Kevin Knox had seven points in his seven minutes, Gorgie Jane had a three, etc. Uh, DeLon Wright had seven points, four assists, four rebounds, and a steal in 21 minutes. Made all three of his shots. He was good when he played, plus 12 Solid bogey, a solid line right game all across the board. Bogey was not fantastic, but played okay. Uh, 11 points on 12 shots is below his usual standard, but he did make three threes, had two rebounds and, and a steal, and uh, obviously was questionable to play coming in. So um, not, having to, not having to tax him a lot was probably helpful in this game. Gallo was not fantastic. Um, I, don't, I didn't think – he was probably the, the second worst guy on the roster tonight behind Hunter in terms of guys who play prominent minutes. But still had four rebounds, three assists, plus 11. Okongwu had a big game. So Okongwu uh, had his first double-double of the season. 17 points and 12 rebounds for Oneka, which is actually his second-most points of the year and second-most rebounds of the year. So overall, this is very easily his best stat game of the season. I don't think he was like probably at, as good as those numbers indicate, but still very, very good. Rebounding Wilds did a good job on the glass. Made all six shots on the floor, 5-6 at the free throw line. Did have four fouls, but other than that, um, you know, I thought Okongwu was very good across the board in this one. To the starters, um, TLC did a good job, 12 points and four rebounds, two assists and a steal. Again, I, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but I think TLC's done a very, very good job. He's been thrust into action, action the last few games. And uh, the last three in particular, he's had double digits in all three games, 13 points against the Pacers, 10 points against the Thunder, 12 points tonight. It's not all about scoring either. He just kind of done, done his job defensively, went out there and uh, you know, played two-way stuff and was efficient enough and um, you know just kind of plugged the hole that they had to have plugged in this game. To the starters, uh, Kevin Herter, I thought was fantastic. Um, McMillan actually said he was the player of the game. I'm not sure if that's the case. I think maybe Capella, or obviously Trey was in the, in the mix there, but he was certainly on, on the list, on the short list, I should say. 23 points for Herter on 7-12 from the floor and 5-6 from three with 4-4 free throw line. So uh, 23 points on 14 shooting possessions is excellent. Two rebounds, two assists, two steals. He did a good job bothering Darius Garland along the way, which McMillan credited him for. And uh, recently, 
Herter has been shooting the heck out of the ball. So in the last six games, including tonight, he is 24 of 43 from three. That's 56%. That is obviously unsustainable, but also fantastic from him. He's now made four threes or more in four straight games. He scored 20 points or more in four straight games. So I'm not sure if it's like, if it's like if this is a new normal for Herter. Obviously, that's a little bit above his usual baseline, but still, he has been really, really good. And uh, certainly part of the reason why the Hawks have been playing so well on offense is that Herter making shots like that opens things up for everybody else. So um, credit to him for playing very, very well in this game. Um, I mentioned Hunter, but this is sort of the one downer. I thought Hunter was pretty terrible, honestly. I don't mean that to pick on him. I've always liked Hunter. I was, you know, had him in the top five of the draft class, et cetera. But five points, one rebound, two assists, two attempts on the floor, one of five from three. Just some bad shots, some bad defense, some bad transition stuff. He doesn't rebound, man. It's it's kind of brutal. Um, I said this during the game, but he has the same, at least with a couple of um, decimal points, of Trey Young rebounding-wise this year. Like, it's just not good on the glass. Obviously, defensively, he's still solid for the most part, but uh, it was a mess on offense in this game, and I'm not sure what's going on with him. He kind of got benched, I think, in this game. I'm not 100% sure because the, the margin was so long, but uh, I, I do think that he was the first guy out, and that's not usually the case in the third quarter. So maybe McMillan tried to send a message there a little bit on some level, but he was uh, the one um, unfortunate side, side effect of this game. He was not very good along, along the way. Um, Capella I thought was awesome. 12 points, 14 rebounds, two assists, two steals, three blocks. Clint has been ridiculous. Only five nine from the floor in this game, which is obviously still good. But coming in the night, he was at, um, I believe, he's making two thirds of his shots basically since the All Star break. So his finishing has been better. And then defensively, he really was dominant in this one. He was plus twenty four, and he changed the game on defense. Uh, not only the two the two steals and three blocks, but um, changing shots, rebounding. Um, you know, fourteen rebounds in twenty three minutes. <laughs> this is obviously ridiculous stuff from Cabela. Again, he's just been fantastic. I can't even say it a different way. He's just been uh, changing the game and. Um, I think I was talking to people uh, in Slack from Peachtree Hoops this evening, Andrew Kelly and other, and other friends mentioned this, but like it is not quite this simple, but what Capella is this guy, the Hawks are a lot to, diff- to sort of deal with. Cause obviously the offense is always good and he changes the defense in a big way. So credit to him for a part of this um, transition to the more winning ways from Hawks recently. He's been fantastic. And then lastly, Trey Young, 30 points, nine assists in 28 minutes. That speaks for itself. He was efficient. He was uh, five of eight on twos, four of nine on threes, and perfectly eight of eight at the free throw line. The injury is the only question. Um, he was very good when he played in this one. We'll keep an eye on, on the groin in the coming days. Um, I'll be shocked if he's not playing on Saturday unless they, unless they just unless he just can't. So we'll see how if he's sore tomorrow or what's going to ha- going to happen there. And I will say, um, I, I thought it was probably not great to play as much as they, as they, as they did in the second half of this game. But we'll see if he's uh, reacting to that. He is very durable and very tough and likes to play. And I think he'll be out there, but um, just nothing assured right now because if he just because he came back in does not mean it's going to be uh, nothing moving forward. So, all that said, the Hawks are now tied, as I said before, in the um, standings with both the Hornets and the Nets. Charlotte was off tonight, so that was already uh, in the Hawks' control, but Brooklyn was up by nine with three minutes to go on national TV against Milwaukee, and they lost in overtime. So that was a big that was a big swing for the Hawks, a positive result there. And the team was actually watching it in the locker room, they said, after the game. So with five games left, all three teams are 40 and 37. And just as a sidebar, the Hawks are only two games behind the Cavs now for uh, seventh. Now, obviously, there's more than one team in play, but the Cavs are free-falling. And the Hawks now have the tiebreaker, I believe, against the Cavs for the season. So um, if things were to go perfectly, if the Hawks were to win out, and I'm not saying that's assured. In fact, it's not likely to happen at all. But if it were to happen, 
they might get to seventh. That's even that's definitely in play if they were to win out at this at this stage. Uh, after the back to back, the Hawks have Friday off, of course, and then a big game against Brooklyn on Saturday at home. Now, Brooklyn is a better team than they've been for the for the season. I would say the Hawks are as well, to be fair. Um, that's a game in which I'm not sure what to expect. We'll see what the injury report looks like for the Hawks. Uh, Collins not going to play almost assuredly, but they could be at least full strength-ish outside of that with Jalen, et cetera. Um, the Nets with Kyrie and KD are a different team, but they've still not been like entirely flawless recently either. So um, the Nets are 40-37, obviously, but they're potent, they're potent offense. But they've, they've, they've actually lost three of the last five games. They've, uh, you know, this is winnable. The Hawks are maybe even favored on Saturday. We'll see what the injury report, what the injury report looks like and the, and the points where it looks like. But I think at worst, it's a coin flip game for Atlanta in their home building. So that's a big one. Um, as a programming note, I'm actually going to New Orleans to cover the Final Four. So there will not be a podcast that's like up within an hour of that game. I'll actually be in the building covering two college games back to back. So the timing of the Hawks-Nets game, not fantastic. In fact, the NBA playing on Saturday night, not my favorite thing in the world. But alas, that's going to be happening. I will have a show on Sunday at some point covering Hawks-Nets and everything else going on. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye on it from afar, but I will not be quite as, da- as dialed in. I will not be at the game on Saturday. So keep that in mind. Uh, the Final Four, in this instance, with, with, with travel and the kind of the, the majesty of that event, I have to cover that one and dive into it a little bit more. So please forgive me for this slightly delayed podcast, but it's over the weekend anyway. So there you go. But I promise you there'll be a podcast in your feed if you are a, a morning listener for the week for your commute or whatever. By Sunday afternoon, evening, there'll be a show that you can listen to, download, watch on YouTube, et cetera. So that's going to be happening in the near future. And of course, for real-time updates, follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks for uh, links and all that kind of fun stuff. Thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a big month, the end of March. In fact, I'm, I'm recording this at the very, very end of March. And I do appreciate all of your support this entire month. We'll have much more to come in April. Um, the Hawks are now guaranteed to be playing basketball until at least April the 12th. The finale of regular season is April 10th, but with the play-in now clinched for the Hawks, they'll be playing on that Tuesday night somewhere, either in the 9-10, either in the 9-10 game or the 7-8 game, either in Atlanta or Charlotte or Brooklyn or maybe in Cleveland if they were to get to the 7-8 game in, Cle- in Cleveland 7. So lots of uh, scenarios in play, but they'll be playing again. In the near future, obviously, regular season games, still five more to go, so plenty to get it to. But uh, one more time, sincere thanks for listening to the podcast. Please, please, please subscribe and review and rate and all that fun stuff. And we'll see you over the weekend and after the game on Saturday.